0: Perspective changes everything, doesn't it? You're looking forward to something, and it looks completely different than after it happens. In August, you're sitting there thinking, this is the year. Notre Dame will do it this year. God will shine His light on His beloved Irish. And afterwards, you look back and you say, oh, those dirty referees… You have different perspective. That's the way Christmas is. Just think what it was like when all that was talked about were the promises. I promise you, Israel, it will get better. I promise you somebody is coming. I promise you we can't tell what it will look like, but it will happen. And then Christmas comes, and for the last 2,000 years, we look back at the event, and it looks so different. Because all the things they thought were most important were secondary, and the things that they thought were right in the middle were out on the edges, but their hunger of the heart is something we share. Oh, please, come again. Last week, we started this idea of looking through the eyes of the prophets, particularly the prophet Isaiah, ahead at Christmas. 600 years before the first Christmas, Isaiah says, this is what Christmas will be like. This is a piece of Christmas cheer. And Carrie did a great job saying, when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will bring justice. He will restore the land. Evil will be put down. Count on it. And then it seems as if God goes radio silent for six years. Hundred years. The prophet Isaiah spoke again. Nearly 600 years before Christmas, Isaiah sees the Christmas light and says this in chapter 52 How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who declare salvation, who say to the people of God, Your God reigns. Your God wins. The watchmen shout together for joy. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. Merry Christmas. Then, right next door in chapter 53 comes a surprise. The coming of the King is different than we had thought. But who believed how the power of God was revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us, nothing in his appearance that we would desire. He was despised and rejected by humanity. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. He was not the king. He was not the emperor we had hoped would come. Like one from whom people hide their faces, we did not honor the Messiah. He took up our pain and bore our suffering, but we considered him punished by God and afflicted. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And after he's suffered, after he's suffered, he will see the light of life in us. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. For he... For the sins of many and interceded for transgressors. Central to the Christmas experience is that Jesus comes down from heaven to earth and becomes human. And this week we want to focus on the idea that central to becoming human, to being a human being, is suffering. Whether it's the Powell family or those. Little birds flopping around, freezing in the snow. Central to the human experience is suffering. And just so we don't miss it, the very first followers of Jesus, the first church said that Jesus, this Jesus from Nazareth, he was that Messiah that Isaiah talked about so long ago, and he was different than everybody thought that he would be. We just heard a lovely classical arrangement of Hosanna to God. But the very first hymn, or one of the very first Christian songs, was written down about Jesus. It's in Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it says, Jesus is like this. In your relationships, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, He was God, did not consider equality with God something to cling to. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a certain servant by becoming human. And becoming a man, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Without acknowledging the suffering and brokenness that is inside each one of us. Without admitting that we live in a dark world and we are part of that darkness. We are light and dark combined and we need help just like those little birds do. Without acknowledging the suffering of the world, we lose Christmas. We just have another holiday. It's the 4th of July. If the world is not broken, nobody has to die to fix it. Without suffering and brokenness, we offer what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, grace you can buy at the store, grace you can pick up at the church, cheap grace. This is cheap grace. It is forgiveness without repentance. It's baptism without relationship. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without obedience. Grace that doesn't change our lives. Grace without the cross. The baby stall, but not the cross. Grace without a need to be saved by Jesus Christ. Isaiah says he will come. And you will miss him because you're looking for the king to come and save you, the good people, from them, the bad people. And he says instead, the Savior will come to save the broken people, all of the broken people, the suffering people, in a suffering world. That's why you'll miss him, Isaiah says. And when Jesus comes... Jesus spends more time with the suffering than he does with the important. More time with the pagans than he does with the religious. He goes to the sick and offers healing. He goes to the criminals, the tax collectors, and offers another's chance. He goes to blue-collar workers that everybody else looks down on, and he says, I'm going to make you the superstars. Jesus spends time so much with prostitutes that it ruins his reputation. Thank God for a God who's not worried about his reputation. He says, I haven't come for the people who are well. I've come for the sick ones. I've come to seek and to save the lost and the suffering. Without a suffering Savior at Christmas, without suffering people at Christmas... We just have a plastic holiday. We just mouth platitudes. I've, I've found that even this month. Well-meaning, there are times where I don't know what to say. You've had that? Somebody comes and you say, how was your weekend? And you say, well, my, my father died unexpectedly. I don't know what to make of that. What do you say? You put your arms around them and you say something like, oh, I'm so sorry. It, it, it'll be okay. Well, maybe it won't but we don't know what else to say we say oh i'm i'm so sorry i i know how you feel but we don't that's part of the problem we we suffer and we feel so alone somebody comes up and they says i know how you feel can i just suggest that real healing real power comes most when somebody does know how you feel This last Tuesday night, we had a a holy time. 300 folks or so came in here for the memorial candlelight service to mark the beginning of Christmas holidays, and they picked up little Christmas tree ornaments that they put on the tree in honor of someone who had died, in memory of someone that broke their heart. And they looked around at people who did know how they felt, and they didn't feel alone. When I say, I know how you feel and I don't, it doesn't help all that much. That's why there's such a power in the support groups that fill this church. Folks recovering from loss help other folks. Folks who have drowned in addiction speak to other folks with their hearts. Folks who have undergone the pain of divorce or infertility. The power comes from, I have shared your suffering so I can identify with you. That's what Christmas is. I have shared your suffering so I can identify with you and you can identify with me. I I saw this in a a book I just read this uh, last fall uh, called Through Clouds of Glory. It's the story of Robert E. Lee, the famous Civil War uh, general, uh, and it said that one of the things that marked Lee as different was that he drove his fellow generals crazy. He drove his fellow officers crazy because he refused every day of the Civil War to sleep in homes that were nice, to visit his family even when they were close to eat good meals when his troops were hungry. He ate what his troops did. And the other generals were angry because when they were near Lee, they couldn't eat good stuff. And when they were far from Lee, they saw the way that the troops looked at General Lee as if he was one of them. The rebel army saw their general suffering with them and they followed him through rain and fire and misery with one surprise victory after another, because their general was living just like them. I thought, that's a hero. Whatever your politics, that's the kind of leader that you want. But I gotta tell you, can I tell you that's a that's a that's a sermon illustration. That's a this is what leaders do illustration. The picture that I have of somebody who comes and suffers, comes from the most beautiful place on planet Earth. One of. The Hawaiian Islands. Beauty. Incarnate. And one of the most beautiful parts of the most beautiful part of the world is the little island of Molokai. Uh, Molokai is just gorgeous. And on this beautiful part of of the most beautiful part of the planet were some of the most suffering people on planet Earth. It became one of the first leprosiums, a quarantine camp for people with leprosy because it was so contagious they didn't know how to treat it. They only knew that if you touched people with leprosy, you got it. It's Hansen's disease now. We know it. So they shut them aside, and they had little Catholic nuns and priests take care of these people that nobody else knew. And into this hell-on-paradise, a priest comes, a young priest Uh, father damien and he notices that they don't come to mass and the reason they don't come to mass is because mass is held at 10 o'clock in the morning and they are all disfigured and nobody wants to look at each other so damien starts to have mass at four o'clock in the morning with just a candle in one place at the front of the altar to have people shuffle in and he greets them by saying my brothers and sisters in christ come and eat the bread of life for you. And he offers them love and acceptance and hope, and they loved Damien. And they thought he was the best priest they had had. Every day he would say, my brothers and sisters in Christ, until four years into the experience, he doesn't say, my brothers and sisters in Christ. He starts the homily in the mass by saying, my fellow lepers, because he had acquired Hansen's disease. And he lived with them, and he suffered with them, and he died with them. And in that suffering, we see why God didn't just say, okay, I think I'll just split another Red Sea. I think I'll just send more plagues. I I think I'll send lightning and thunder. This is why God came close. Because when someone hears out of the darkness, my fellow lepers, they know that they know. This is a... This has become quite real for me this last month or so. I am a part of a small group of folks who are trying to make sense of what's happening on the north side. How black and white and police and community and Christian and Christian can be so bitterly divided and hurting one another. And I have, I have tried... Uh, for 20-plus years, to build relationships with the African-American community, to try to be one church, and, um, and, I, and I'm going to keep trying. I'm just telling you, I'm not very good at it. I know far less than I know. It's not, it's not about who's right and who's wrong about this. It's about, can you trust me? Do you understand what I'm going through? And one of the things that I keep just bumping into is that um, you know what the biggest you know what the, just cut to the bottom line you know what the biggest difference is between me and Babington Johnson, who has come and preached here, African American guy, great pastor, good leader. The biggest difference between Bab and I, or between our children, is that when I see a cop in the back mirror, I go, "Oh crap, was I speeding?" And that's as far as it goes. I'm not worried. I, I look to the police for help. When Babington sees the lights flash in the rearview mirror, he goes, oh, crap, am I going to get killed? Am I going to get taken to jail? We see it differently, and I am struggling. I'm struggling to let him know without cliche, it'll be okay, because it may not, or not to say, I don't say, I know how you feel, because I, I don't. Sufferers know a different reality. Only as we enter into the suffering, not taking sides, not trying to win an argument, just trying to listen, just trying to become one, only then will there be healing. I struggle with this. Jesus is becoming one of us at Christmas because... Common suffering leads to trust. And trust leads to vulnerability. If I don't trust you, I'm not going to show you my pain. I'm not going to share my loss. I'm not going to admit that I don't know. But if we suffer together, then I can take the mask off a little. And only then, only when we suffer together and are honest together, only then can there be hope and joy. Only then can the birds be led to the barn. Only then can the suffering servant say, I came that you might have life. Admit that you suffer. Admit that you need life. I can't admit that if, if I'm afraid of you or if I'm trying to impress you with how Christian I am. But if I know that you suffer like I suffer, there is hope. One of my, uh, one of my favorite examples of hope. It comes out of the show The West Wing. You probably remember it's eight, ten years ago. It's about the leaders of the White House, and one of the main characters is the deputy chief of staff, brilliant young man who uh, has all the power in the world and is frankly proud of the power and likes being at the center of the world, and he, uh, he goes through a crisis where he blows up And because he blows up, he has to go into counseling. And when you go into counseling, you can't work at the White House anymore. And he comes out of that counseling and he finds someone who understands. Take a look. How'd it go? Did you wait around for me? How'd it go? He thinks I may have an eating disorder. Josh. And uh, fear of rectangles. That's not weird, is it? I didn't cut my hand on a glass. I broke a window in my apartment. This guy's walking down the street when he falls in the hall. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, Hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole. can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. As long as I got a job, you got a job, you understand? I love that. That's the chief of staff, probably the second most important person in the country. But what he's saying is, I've been an alcoholic. I fell down in the hole, and now I'm jumping down in the hole because... I know what it's like, and I know the way out. Let's do this together. I I love that. That's what it means to be a suffering community. That's what we want you to experience here. Broken people just like you, who suffer just like you, who have hope just like you, who can see Christ at work just like you. I love that picture, that story, but I live in a world... That is so broken that my best friend cannot get me out of the hole no matter how hard he tries. I am broken enough myself that it would take God himself to get me out of this mess. And you know what? At Christmas, God himself shows up. We should learn about sitting with the suffering and we should see Jesus, the suffering Messiah, as somebody to trust. And we should this Christmas not try harder to be good, but learn to trust the one who says, I come for you, follow me. We come here to this place because the God of the universe took on flesh and blood for us. Would you pray with me? I think of the lights on the tree and all the presents underneath and the Christmas carols and all the joy of seeing my girls again, and I am thrilled for Christmas. And Lord Jesus, this Christmas I ask you to help me not miss that you are the suffering Savior. That when you say, I know how you feel, you really know how we feel. That when you say, it will be okay, it will be okay because you will walk with us. I ask you, Lord God, as you come and put skin on, give us the courage to tell the truth about where we are broken. Instead of hiding or trying harder. Help us to ask Jesus to sit next to us as we suffer and to walk with us even when we stumble. And this Christmas to do what we cannot. We have confidence in this God because He was not born as an emperor with lightning bolts but a baby and grew up to be a carpenter and turned to the people that he loved, and he said, This is my body, my real flesh and blood body, which aches and suffers. This is my body broken for you. Take this broken body and eat it. This wine is, is my blood spilled for you. I suffer for you. I suffer with you. When you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Savior's death until He comes again for His suffering children. Help us to come here, happy and broken, but each of us needing a suffering Savior. This Christmas, may it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Our tradition here is uh, to serve the servers. Dean, would you help me? To serve the servers, and then we'll ask the uh, servers to serve you at the stations. Just go to it, uh, take a piece of the bread and dip it into the juice, and then go back uh, by the sides. But if this day for you is one where you want to just sit in silence and quiet, please don't feel like this is a command performance. This is just for us who are the children of God and suffer with hope. The gifts of God for the people of God, the Lord Jesus.